Anybody ever heard that song before? Anybody want to guess what year that song was released? 80, what'd you say, 83? 82? 87. 87. <laughs> that, that, you know, that was before I was born, so I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> or something like that. Uh, and who's that band? Yeah, and the Harlem Gospel Choir. Anybody ever heard that version before? Interesting, right? Because when you, when you sing it with a gospel choir, it sounds like a hymn, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, he's been singing that song for 31 years. Every, every concert you two does, I guarantee you they do that song and sometimes twice. Right? It's their anthem. It's the one that everybody knows. And whether you're a YouTube fan or not, you have probably heard that song or some version of that song. And for 31 years, Bono has been standing up there wailing into a microphone. And in 31 years, apparently, he still has not found what he's looking for. <laughs> and it makes you wonder what he's looking for, doesn't it? Well, we're going to talk more about that later, but if ever there was a motto for this generation, I think that's it. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Still have not found what I'm looking for. There are millions of people walking around every day singing that song with their lives. The way that they live their life is crying out, I still have not found what I'm looking for. There's this gigantic question floating in front of every one of us, or at least so many of us, and that question is, what is missing? There seems to be a burning itch in so many lives that we just cannot seem to scratch. Don't you love it when you get an itch on your back, and it's right in that spot, and you know, my arms are really short and my torso is <clears throat> wide. So it's, there's like a whole section of my back that I can't reach and I get these itches and I am like willing to pay somebody a hundred bucks to scratch my back. Just anything. I don't want you touching me. You stay there. <laughs> right? You know, but here's the best thing. Don't tell my wife. I just take one of her hairbrushes and it's perfect, right? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, some of you comb your back. I know you do. So um, this question, what is this itch that we can't seem to scratch? What is this thing that we are missing? What are we after that it doesn't seem like no matter what we add into our lives, we never quite get there. You get the new car and it feels awesome for about a week and then it's just your car, right? You get that promotion and you're like, yes, I finally made it. And then you realize, I don't even like this job. You, you, you get fed up with your relationship and you say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, it's time to leave this one and I move on to another one. And this one's great for about 15 minutes. 
And then it just starts, you start to realize this, this one's not the one for you either. It just seems like there's so many people trying to find a way to scratch that itch. And when I was doing research, this is just going to be a little two-week sermon series called What's Missing. And when I was doing research for this sermon series, uh, I just thought, well, what is everybody searching for? And so I thought, well, it's the 21st century. I'll just Google it. So I Google, what is everybody searching for? Which is funny because Google assumed I meant, what is everybody Googling, right? So I didn't get anything that was philosophical or metaphysical. I just got, I just got statistics about Google searches. What are the most common Google searches? What are people searching for on Google? And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting too. So I found 2017's top 10 list of topics that are being searched for on Google in the United States. So this is last year, top 10 topics. So they took keywords, and if it fit into a topic, it counts, right? So I'm going to give you those top 10 real quick if we just look at this slide. Number 10 is children, okay? So if it has anything to do with children, like uh, how do you get your child to sleep through the night, or Sesame Street. If it has anything to do with children, then it goes in that category. Number nine, videos. Um, there are a lot of people, some of you are those people, who spend hours in front of your computer. Just click on one video and then you watch another one. What videos are out there? Uh, number eight is anything having to do with email. Apparently, we still don't know how to deal with our email. Number seven is games. How many of you have some kind of stupid game on your phone that you use just when you have downtime? Or whatever. Oh, you guys are such liars. Everybody's sitting there and out. Yeah, I see you driving and you're playing Candy Crush. I see you. Okay? <laughs> Games, number seven. Number six is sports. I think that should probably be number one or two, but it's number six. Number five is lottery. Every week people go on and go, give me the numbers, right? Lottery. Number four is anything having to do with shopping. So it's like, how can I get the best price on a garden hose, right? That goes number four. Now, the, the top three, I'm going to give you one at a time, okay? Uh, and I'm going to give you the amount of clicks per month or the amount of searches per month on Google in this topic. Number three is anything having to do with celebrities. 86 million searches a month in the U.S. alone having to do with, you know, what's, what's new with the Kardashians or whatever, okay? Anything having to do with celebrities. Now, the number goes up pretty quick when you get to number two because number two is just reference. 404 million searches a month on things like, you know, what year did Abraham Lincoln die? That kind of thing, Okay. Um, anything that's just reference-oriented. So that's 404 million searches a month. That's a lot more than 86 million for celebrities. So what do you think is number one? Food? Yeah, see, a woman says food and a man says porn. Let's see. Let's see what's number one. <laughs> number one is porn. Anything having to do with adult content, 548 million Google searches every month on average just in this country for adult content. Out of the top, uh, out of the top 10 searched for words, seven of them have to do with porn. So um, 
It's a massive, massive, massive industry as we all know about. I would say people are looking for something. As the late great Dr. Billy Graham was fond of saying, there is a God-shaped void in every human heart. And until it's filled by God, nothing else will ever fit. And if, if Google search is any indication, there are a lot of people trying to fill that void with something. The, the thing I'm shopping for, the, the video I want to watch, the, the, the habit that I am caught up in, they're searching. We have lots of experiences in our lives, guys. We have all kinds of luxuries. We have lots of relationships available to us. We have a ton of money in this society. Um, we have a lot of time on our hands that, that we could choose what to do with. And yet, we still seem to be restless. We still seem to have this sense that there's something more. There's got to be something more. To put it simply, something is missing in most of our lives. We just want something more. And to understand that, I think we need to start with what seems to be bothering everybody so much. And so, you know, I do a lot of reading and study and you know, read a lot of philosophy and theology. And I came across this theologian, I don't know if you've heard of him, his name is Mick Jagger. You guys hear of Mick Jagger? He said, you can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. And you know what? He's right. He's wrong about almost everything else. But he's right about this. You can't always get what you want. And it makes us nuts. We are frustrated. We hate that fact. Now think about it. Can you think of a human conflict that isn't rooted in people trying to get what they want? Kids fight over toys, right? And, you know, a kid can be not the least bit interested in a toy until his sister wants to play with it, right? And then he cannot be without it. Um, and kids will fight over toys because I want it, I want more, that sort of thing. Husbands fight with their wives. You know, I, I do a ton of marriage counseling, and a lot of my week is taken up with that, and... Um, it's astonishing how often I sit and listen to a couple, a married couple, a couple who stood on an altar not so long ago, looked into each other's eyes, not being able to imagine a day when they would have conflict. And now they fight with each other. That's the word they use. Well, we had a fight on Wednesday and we haven't been talking to each other since. They had a fight. And I think, my gosh, the person you decided to love the most in the whole world you decided to fight with them. You, you decided to attack them and try to hurt them so you could win the fight. And parents fight with their kids and wives fight with their husbands and siblings fight with each other. And here we are supposed to be one and we are attacking ourselves when we attack one another. But when we fight, we fight because we're not getting what we want and nation fights against nation for the very same reason. And in, in our lifetimes, we've never seen a time without war in this world. We want something. We don't have it. We can't get it. And it drives us nuts. 
Now, Scripture talks about this, so I want you to go to the back of your New Testament and find the book of James. It's right after Hebrews. Hebrews is a big book, and then James is a smaller book. So find the book of James, and when you get to James, I want you to go to James chapter 4. And we're going to look at the first three verses there of James chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You were envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You want something. And that, according to Scripture, is the reason we quarrel. It's the reason we fight. It's the reason we go to war. It is the reason we attack one another because we want more. More money, more time, more stuff, better health, more respect, more pleasure, more adventure in our life. More, more, more. I've got to have more. I've got to have more. And until I get more, I'll never be happy. And you know what the problem with that is? Of course you do. You eventually get more. And are you content? No. And, and so we have this broken wonter where we just want and want and want and want and want. And all of that wanting keeps us from being able to appreciate and enjoy what we've already been given because what we have is clearly not enough. We get angry with God. We get disappointed. He didn't do it the way we wanted to. James says, this is the whole problem. And he's not kidding around. He says that's the source of so many of the world's biggest problems. It's the fact that we are simply not content. And as a result, we live in bondage to things like disappointment. We get discouraged and we, we fall into depression. And then we think, well, maybe if I could just get more. Maybe if I could just change this. Maybe if I could just go there. Maybe if I could just feel better. It's an epidemic in our society. And for the most part, people are dealing with it in all the wrong ways. Just take a pill, it'll make you feel better. Until it's time for the next pill. Or, or find a new interest and let it turn into a habit and become an obsession and, and it doesn't have to be something bad. It doesn't have to be that, that, you know, your habit is heroin or pornography or something like that. Your habit could be something that is otherwise good. It could be knitting or it could be sports or it, it could be uh, watching a new series on Netflix or whatever your thing is and you just go there and you just can't wait and you build your day around it and it becomes central to you. Because it feels better for a while until that gets old. People just hook up with some other person for some quick sexual encounter thinking, maybe I'll feel wanted, maybe I'll feel loved, maybe I'll feel worthy, maybe I'll just feel better. And they come away broken and with their heart damaged. People go to hypnotists, make me feel better. 
People find some new religious experience. Maybe if I find a new guru, a new teaching, a new church, a new, a new set of hoops to jump through and please some God somewhere, maybe then I'll feel better. Why do people cheat on their spouses? Because they want more. More of whatever. Why do people cheat on their taxes? Which, by the way, this is April 8th, if you don't know. People cheat on their taxes because they want more. I know how we justify why we cheat on our taxes. That government's ripping us off. I pay too many taxes. They're inefficient. They don't do a good job. You know what all that is? Baloney. You want more. You feel entitled to more. So you're just going to change what this line says and cheat on your taxes. I say that for those of you who haven't done your taxes yet, so you will feel incredibly guilty if you think about doing that. Why do people crush their colleagues on the way up the corporate ladder and just leave a trail of damage behind them? Because they want more. Why do we lie? Why do we cheat? Why do we steal? Why do we kill? Because we want more. This is not a minor issue. Our discontentment is ruining us. Do you want to know a secret? Do you want to know a secret? Of course you want to know a secret. Everyone wants to know a secret. The worst thing in the world is being on the outside of the secret, isn't it? You see somebody lean over and just tell them, you go, what did she say to her? I sure would like to know. Hey, you want to know a secret? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the secret? Right? We all want to know a secret. I'm not telling you the secret. I just want to know. <laughs> Here's what we'll do, though. I'll give you a chance. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to see if you can find the secret. Just turn back a few pages to the left. You find the book of Philippians after Ephesians and before Colossians. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want us to see this whole section here. I don't have time to, to really work through the whole thing. But we're just going to pick it up in Ephesians 4. Uh, not Ephesians. Philippians 4.4. 4. Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? The peace of God. It's so great that nobody can understand it. And it guards your heart and your mind. Finally. Brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity." Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Did you catch the secret? Look at it again, the last couple of verses that we read. Verse 11, not that I speak from want... For I have learned to be content 
in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul had learned what he calls the secret, the secret to contentment. He says, I learned it. I figured it out. All this time, like everybody else, he thought contentment came in getting more of something. I need to get more. I need to get more money, more prestige, more uh, knowledge, more accomplishments, more people following me, more respect, more honor, more, more, more. If I just have more, then I'll feel better. But you know what he found out? Circumstances don't get to control your contentment. Now, some of you did not take out a pen and write that down, so let me say that again. Circumstances do not have the power to control your contentment. Contentment doesn't depend on rich or poor. It doesn't depend on full or hungry. It doesn't depend on abundantly supplied or suffering need. He says, in all of those situations, I have learned to be content. His wanter got fixed. He had learned to be content. I don't care if I'm rich or poor, it's fine. I don't care if I'm in jail or if I'm free, it's fine. I don't care if I've been beaten or if I'm laying on a beach, it's fine. I have learned the secret. How did Paul become so content? Well, first of all, he knew what he wanted, and he wanted the right thing. You don't have to turn there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. If you're taking notes, write that down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. This is kind of my life verse, you guys. And Paul says, therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Paul says, I have one ambition, one aim. There is one thing that my life is about. My life is designed for one purpose, and I will live on that purpose. What's that purpose? To please God. He said, I'm going to live to please God. I'm going to forget about pleasing men. I'm going to forget about amassing a fortune. I'm going to forget about what everybody says or everybody thinks. Or I'm going to forget even about how I'm feeling. And I am going to determine my success on one thing. Am I being pleasing to God? And when I discover that I'm not being pleasing to God, I have an option called repentance and confession. I can turn from my sin and turn back to God. And guess what? I'm successful again. I only have one purpose, Paul says. And then as you read the rest of his writings and watch the rest of his life, you go, I think he actually meant that. See, rich or poor, young or old, healthy or sick, those things don't have the power to steal your joy and they don't have the power to steal your contentment. Paul knew what he wanted and he wanted the right thing. But if you're in Philippians 4, just turn to page, one page to the left and go to Philippians 3. Because in Philippians 3, he explains this even more. Philippians 3, chapter 7. I mean, <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which, for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul chose what to do with his heart and mind. He chose what to do with his heart and mind. He, he had this one purpose, one thing. I'm going to be about pleasing God. I'm going to be about knowing him. I'm going to be about pursuing him. I'm going to be about my relationship with him. I am going to run this race so that I get to the finish line and he receives me in his arms and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because he has a crown that he's going to put on my head that will never tarnish. It will never rust. It will never become passe. It will never become old. And he's going to give it to me. And I'm going to pursue him with all of my heart. Go back to Philippians 4 and look how he does it. Verses 4 and 5 in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. See, he understood that he could choose joy. He could choose joy. Some of us feel like victims. Some of us feel like we're just stuck. My circumstances are so bad, they're so weighty, that I'm being crushed under the weight of my circumstances, and I can't be joyful under these circumstances. You know where Paul was when he wrote this, and he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Any guesses where he was? Prison, just like always, right? With, with wounds on his back, just like always. And he writes and he says, I have joy. I get to choose joy. I don't need my husband to change before I have joy. I don't need my bank account to change before I have joy. I don't need my health to change before I have joy. I don't need to find a spouse before I have joy. I don't need to get rid of this spouse before I will have joy. I can have joy right now, right here. I get to choose joy. If I'm in Christ, the scripture says joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is in my life. Joy is an option for me to choose. You know how you go to the refrigerator and you open it up and you stand there and stare at it for 10 minutes? What do I want? What do I want? Maybe an apple. Maybe, this is me. Maybe an apple. Maybe a salad. <laughs> what do I want, right? Oh, candy bar. Yes, right? Do you, you realize that when, when you have Christ in you, when the Holy Spirit enables you. 
you stand before this spiritual refrigerator and joy is right there on the shelf. All you got to do is grab it. You have the ability to choose joy. You know what else? Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, you can choose thankfulness. You can choose thankfulness. See, what's so frustrating about this itch that we keep trying to scratch is we're so focused on what we don't have that we forget to be thankful for what we do have. We lose sight of the incredible blessings we have. And we don't even get to rejoice in the gifts God has given us because we're so busy looking for other gifts. You ever done that when you get a new car? You're so excited, you drive it up the lot, and then you pull up and you see a different car. You go, I should have got one of those. Everybody's always got one that's better. You get to choose thankfulness, you guys. Thanksgiving, according to this passage, is the antidote to anxiety. Not that anyone in our culture deals with anxiety. But he says you don't have to be anxious. You can be thankful. You have a choice on what you are thankful for. And you can express that thanks to God. And the third thing, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You know what, guys? You could choose your focus. You can choose your focus. You don't have to stay focused on the stuff that you tend to stay focused on. You can choose your focus. Have you ever heard of a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata? You guys heard of her? Johnny Erickson Tata, at 17, teenager, prime of her life, went to a, to a lake to go have some fun, jumped off of a rock or a tree or something, dove into the lake and broke her spine. And, and she's been completely paralyzed since. She's sitting in a wheelchair now for... I don't know, 50 years, something like that. And it was, uh, gosh, it must have been 15 years ago now. I was at a table having dinner with Johnny, and, and someone asked her, do you ever get down? Because if you don't know this about her, she's a world-renowned painter. You see, she paints with a brush in her mouth. And she's amazing. She's also a multi-time published poet, there's books of her poetry uh, that you could buy at any bookstore. She's also a singer-songwriter who's sold thousands and thousands and thousands of records. She also is a CEO of an international ministry where she devotes her life to helping disabled people all around the world. She's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. So it's a reasonable question for someone to say, do you ever get discouraged? And this was her answer, and it stuck with me. It was such a shocking, revealing thing that she said. She said, you know what? Every morning when I wake up, my first thought is, I'm still paralyzed. And then I thank God for something, and I call for help, and someone comes and lifts me out of bed, 
and takes me to the bathroom and showers me and dresses me and feeds me and then I go about changing the world. See guys, she's one of the most positive, upbeat, joyful and content people I've ever met and I promise you there are many ways in which her situation is worse than whatever we're dealing with. So our circumstances don't get to own us. See, if, if she can be joyful, if she can be content, if Paul can sit in a prison cell and be content, you can be content right now. Those things that you think need to change for you to be content, they do not need to change. You need to change. You need to choose contentment. Before we wrap this up, let's go back to that U2 song that we heard at the beginning. Many of you probably know that Bono uh, claims to be a Christian. And yet for 31 years, he goes out on that stage every time they tour and he belts that song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And for years, I just scratched my head and I thought, come on, dude, don't talk about Jesus when you're in an interview and then make your biggest song that you haven't found what you're looking for. Why are you saying you still haven't found what you're looking for? And then I heard the band interviewed about the song, and they said it was inspired by the Psalms. It is a psalm of lament. It is a cry out to God because he so wants to be with God, only to be with you. He so wants to be with God, and he's still running his race here on earth. And he's crying out to God, and he's saying, I found this, and I found this, and I found this, and I found this. It's all been great, but you know what? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because like Paul, what he's looking for is Jesus. What he's looking for is that crown. What he's looking for is God's arms around him. What he's looking for is that day when he breaks the tape and crosses the finish line and hears his father say, well done. Listen to these words in the song. I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosened the chains, carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Paul said, I'm content because I have one purpose and that's what I'm looking for. What purpose are you living for? And let me just ask you this today, just wherever you sit, just in the privacy of your own heart, just to, to chew on this for a second, to just ask you a direct question. Do you know Jesus? Or, do, or have you just been to church? Are you just investigating this thing? Are you just trying to figure this out? It's, it's very important to be honest with yourself about that because if you don't know Jesus, I just want to give you 30 seconds right here that's just for you. He already knows you and he already loves you and he's already paid the price for your sin and he stands reaching out to you and saying, this is eternal life. This is life abundantly. This is a reason to live. I am, Jesus says, what you're looking for. 
And if, if you haven't yet bowed to Jesus, if you haven't yet accepted that free gift and said, Lord, I just want to know you. I just want to follow you. I just want to please you. I'm going to live for that and I accept your free gift of salvation. Listen, that's where you got to start. Because it doesn't matter what else you do. You can jump through every religious hoop in the world. If you don't know Jesus, you miss the whole thing. And he's done everything to make it possible for you to know him. And all you have to do is say, yes, Lord. And begin to follow him. But for those of you who do know Jesus, and maybe you've known him for a while, here's my question for you. Are you living like you believe him? Are you living as if what you say you believe is true? Or is it just doctrine to you? Is it just tradition to you? Is it just something that you mess around with? Or are you absolutely captivated with Jesus and you know that Jesus is the abundant life that you're looking for? Not just that he gives you abundant life, that he is the abundant life. Are you living like that's true? Because I'll just tell you the truth. I know this from experience and so do some of you. There is nothing more miserable than knowing Jesus but living like you don't. Nothing more miserable than that. Don't spend one more day trying to scratch that itch and find fulfillment and find contentment and find joy anywhere else. Jesus is who you're looking for. Now you know the secret. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Lord, right now in this place, I know that by your spirit, you are moving in some of our hearts. I know, Lord, that you're speaking to some people right now and that there are some people who just have to admit there's a gigantic piece in my puzzle central to the picture of my life and it's missing. And I've tried to put this there and I've tried to put that there and I've tried the other thing, but nothing fits. Lord, I pray that you would open hearts and give the faith to believe. Not just to say, yes, I think it's true. Not just to say, well, I guess I'll be a Christian. But to actually know you. To actually walk with you. To actually experience you. Only to be with you. Father, I pray that you would make that the case in all of our hearts. Where we need to surrender, Lord, let us surrender. Where we need to understand, give us understanding. Where we need faith for those things we don't understand, give us faith, Lord, and let us act in that faith. Because you're it. I pray that you would show yourself strong in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.